It's August 1998. The news is dominated by the Monica Lewinsky scandal. President Clinton had an affair. The embassy bombings in Tanzania and Kenya. Car bombs exploded outside the U.S. embassies. And more importantly to us, two men are meeting in a suite at the Metropole Hotel in Moscow. What they decide will determine the fate of the 26 McDonald's locations in Russia. Welcome to Hamburger Business Review, a podcast about Harvard Business School's case studies on McDonald's. I'm Mike Merrill, here with Zach Rose. Today we're talking about the 2002 Harvard Business Review case study, McDonald's Russia, Managing a Crisis, which looks at the financial crisis facing McDonald's during the 1998 collapse of the ruble. We start with George Cohen, who is the CEO of McDonald's Canada. He actually got the rights to McDonald's franchises in Eastern Canada exclusively from Ray Kroc himself and grew an entire empire. He met Ray Kroc in 1966 when he was a young lawyer, and he opened his first McDonald's just two years later. He becomes very rich. 1976, the Montreal Olympic Games, he gets to be a bigwig businessman, and he meets a group of dignitaries from the Soviet Union. And so what does he do? Of course, he brings them to his restaurant, which is a McDonald's. In the case study, George Cohen gives his they quote him at length here, and it's wonderful. So he says, you've got to remember, if you were a Soviet in 1976, a restaurant was either a little hole in the wall where you're lucky to get a sausage sandwich, or it was a cold, formal dining room. So when these officials encountered the quality, cheerfulness, and cleanliness of McDonald's, they were just blown away. At that point, a light bulb went off in my head, and I turned to the head of the delegation and said, do you think that your people would like to see a McDonald's in your part of the world, in the Soviet Union? And the answer was, da. This encounter inspired me. At the time, Canada was a country of 26 or 27 million people, whereas the Soviet Union had 290 million people. Their diet consisted of meat, bread, potatoes, and milk. We serve meat, bread, potatoes, and milk of the highest quality. So I thought to myself, here's a market that is bigger than the United States, where people are proud to eat the kind of food that we sell. How could I pass that up? So in the late 1970s, Cohen starts visiting the Soviet Union every two months or so, and he's meeting with Moscow city representatives and Kremlin officials. And it's this you know, insane bureaucracy. It's not really going anywhere. And this is all happening during the Cold War. Uh, Reagan is calling the Soviet Union an evil empire. Impulses of an evil empire. America is supporting the Islamic opponents of the Soviet Union. And Cohen is just flying back and forth from Canada talking about McDonald's. In 1988, after Gorbachev's economic reforms, he's able to get permission to finally create a McDonald's, and it still takes him over two years to open his first McDonald's. He had to overcome all of the problems of operating in this new land. Right. Getting the food, making the food, growing the food. Yeah, the supply chain aspect that he had to set up within the country, it just it wasn't ready for industrialized processed food. The infrastructure wasn't there to provide what he needed to create a McDonald's. And it's also not there in the sense of, I think culturally, like they just don't grow those plants. They don't make a pickle that's that's like an American 
cucumber, like mini cucumber pickle. And even the potato, they mentioned that they weren't growing a long enough potato to make French fries out of. Cohen had to go to the farmers and be like, will you grow this other kind of potato? And they were insulted. They were just like, why? My my grandfather grew potatoes. My father grew potatoes. I grow potatoes. Like, what do you, what do you know about it? Wow. Okay, well, it's one thing to grow the potato and then turning it into the French fries and getting it ready to serve in the restaurant, as well as the meat, the pickles, the ketchup, all of that stuff. Right, because then I think in American McDonald's, those are suppliers, right? In Portland, there's that big bakery. Is it a Franz bakery? Yeah. They actually make all of the buns for most of the fast food restaurants. They just have a an agreement. Oh, wow. Here's how we want it made, and then they provide it. So in McDonald's Russia, they actually make a bakery. They make a factory. Yeah, I think they call it the McComplex. It's this massive investment in this Moscow suburb. They spent like $45 million and it was a self-contained bakery, dairy, and meat cutting operation processing 70 tons of food every day of the week. Every day. Every day. It's like before you set up the restaurant, you have to set up all of the infrastructure. It's amazing that it only took them two years. That's a good point. What have I done in the last two years? (laughs) The massive amount of change that happened to create a single instance of a franchise restaurant yes is pretty astounding like to spend 45 million dollars on the infrastructure that no one will see what stood out for you about the opening of the first mcdonald's this international massive event that made the news in you know every u.s newspaper talked about it yeah so the first thing hadn't even occurred to me as an option but they talk about how they serve the same menu as everywhere else that McDonald's serves in the world. Big Macs, fries. Uh, When I think of an international McDonald's, I think of all of the sort of regional foods. The things we can't get here? Yeah, all the foods that we can't have because it's it's a special item in McDonald's Japan. But in this case, it was, no, we're going to hold the line. It's going to be exactly the same. He was very stringent about that. Right. And at the same time, they built the restaurant, and I've got a photo of it here. And to me, it looks like a classic, like mansard roof McDonald's, the kind with the, the hip on the roof, the red with the red roof and like the ribs on it. Mm-hmm. And inside this restaurant, they have they decide they're going to have theme sections from around the world. So I think there's like a Leaning Tower of Pisa and like a Statue of Liberty, stuff like that, in different parts of the restaurant. Yeah, I found that surprising because again, I thought, why wouldn't you? push sort of the McDonald's iconography. Like where's Grimace and Ronald McDonald? What I was thinking about is, was that international flair in the decor? Cohen describes it as saying that, you know, Russians love the idea of travel, but couldn't afford to go anywhere. So he was trying to like bring it all in. Even before McDonald's came to Russia, I believe they had like a children's segment on the one TV channel that was... We're going to fly kids somewhere else in the world and they're going to eat at McDonald's in Panama or in wherever. They put this really big focus on the international aspect of McDonald's, which I can only imagine. We don't want to focus on the fact that McDonald's is just the most iconic American brand. We want to focus on it as this international business opportunity. It's also sort of saying, welcome back to the rest of the world. Putting you back on the world stage. Right. It's not a bilateral relationship with America. It's like, welcome to back to the network. And there's this other aspect that we're going to talk about. Um, They've got this brass sign out front that is of critical importance. And our entire case study hinges off of that. 
and we're not going to tell you what it says yet. We're going to come back to it. But there's a, a brass sign. Lots of other restaurants, lots of other clubs, places in Moscow have similar brass signs, but McDonald's is different. And then there's this really big problem with doing business in Russia, the ruble. And this is the meat of the issue. Cohen has to make a decision about money. And this case study calls this the currency decision. Uh, before we dive into this part of the case study, I just want to nerd out for a second because I did this dive into the ruble and it's a really special currency. It's the second oldest currency still in circulation, the other one being the uh, British sterling. And, and I think what's most fascinating about it is it began as an uncoined unit of account. What is that? It was a way to record transactions before it existed physically. So someone was making a list saying, hey, Zach, you have 100 rubles. And then you would go and be like, okay, I paid 50 of my rubles to Mike. And that list would get updated and say, okay, we've, we've noted it. We've, we've transferred the concept from one person to another. And this was back in the 14th century. So it's an IOU. It's an IOU, but it's, it's also when we say like most of our money is not physical, it's digital. This was pre-digital conceptual money. Wow. It's pretty amazing. Anyway, back to business. It's 1990 and Cohen is about to open up the first McDonald's in Moscow. A major issue is how to take payment. And as Cohen explains in his words, in 1990, two types of currency were used in the Soviet Union. Common Soviet citizens conducted transactions with rubles, a non-convertible currency that was worthless on the international exchange, whereas Westerners conducted transactions with convertible hard currency, like US dollars or German marks. It was illegal for common Soviet citizens to hold hard currency. So what would you do? The way we look at it, it's a dichotomy between taking hard currency of some kind, which is illegal for most Russians to have, and the ruble, which you can't you can't take out of the country. I mean, you can't accept money that isn't actually money that you can't remove from a country. What's the point of becoming rich in rubles if you live in Canada? He's he's bringing this empire over. He put $45 million into the creating of this complex in order to fund the expansion of many, many places. And if it's going to be expensive, obviously, you have to sell to the people that have the most money, which are the people that are going to have the harder currency. So I think I think you can't take the ruble. It's not a money that exists outside of the Soviet Union, and therefore, it has no value outside the Soviet Union. So Cohen thinks in the case study, he thinks it's going to get... Um be made convertible. They can't now, but but at some point in the future, they're going to be able to exchange it for Canadian or US dollars and, and bring it back to America. He also talks about conversations with Gorbachev about bartering phosphorus, which I guess would work like McDonald's makes all these rubles in profit. They spend those rubles on a cargo ship full of phosphorus. They sail that ship to America. They sell, sell the phosphorus. They get the dollars. So then McDonald's also becomes a shipping company just as a way to extract. It's essentially going back to barter system in order to get your money out of out of the country. He's arguably too early in this endeavor. Right. He has to set up these massively elaborate systems in order to get this to work. And surprisingly to me, Cohen's hunch was right. It was 1992 when Russian officials announced that the ruble would be fully convertible with other currencies. So he's sitting on all of these rubles that he can suddenly exchange for dollars or, you know, loonies or whatever he wants. 
Do you think he had inf- inside info? He must have. He'd been talking to them since the 70s. He must have. So it works. Cohen not only opens this first McDonald's restaurant, but also ends up opening like 26 more over the years. Unexpected success and expansion in my mind looking at this because it seemed, again, it just seems like this seems like it must have been so much harder than opening in Canada. Cohen becomes even more rich. Now we are back to the beginning of the episode. It's August 1998. Cohen is huddled together in a suite at the Metropole Hotel in Moscow with Kozbulatov, the president of McDonald's Russia, a man who kind of came up under him and within that first restaurant. And all of Russia is facing this massive financial crisis. The ruble is plummeting. International investors who have put so much money into Russia are getting nervous because the economic reforms aren't happening as fast as they wanted. And they're starting to sell rubles and they're selling their Russian stocks. The government, having promised to back the value, starts spending their massive foreign currency reserves. And they end up spending like 27 billion US dollars but they can't stop the ruble from tanking. And if you're an ordinary Russian at this point, your life savings is wiped out? The value of the money you hold, you're just watching it plummet. Inflation is going crazy. Prices are going insane. Right. And within that environment, it's very hard to decide to buy anything at McDonald's. If you're holding money, you're losing money. So now we're at Pretend Harvard, and we have two issues to discuss as a class. The first is, what do you do with prices? Do you raise prices to keep up with this massive inflation? Uh, And then the second idea that they have is maybe we should add some Russia-specific menu items like cabbage soup, and we can lower our prices and we could weather through in this this creative way. Cohen was so adamant about making this a classic McDonald's experience. And so the, the brand of McDonald's is these specific foods, they taste a certain way. He's put so much behind the idea that McDonald's is this and it is different than traditional Russian foods. And so while that might make money in the short term, does it harm the brand in the medium to long term? And the same with the pricing. If you start upping the price of the Big Mac, it becomes an even more precious commodity. That doesn't seem like anyone's going to be more excited to buy a more expensive Big Mac. Right, right. Explain this to me, though, if you can. McDonald's is very vertically integrated at this point in Russia. And they, let's say they have very good relationships with all their suppliers of the, of the people that they convinced to grow like Russian potatoes. Since currency is like a collective fiction, is there a way to just keep this running? Because they've already based their entire operation on the ruble, they're also in the same situation as watching their money being devalued at the same time. Plus, by the time you have to pay your employees later, it's worth less. Every problem of the currency is just destroying their ability to even operate within their own systems. I'm reminded of mining companies in America in the 19th century would have a company store and you could buy what you needed from the company store and the company would float a script that was only valid at the company store. Could McDonald's do something like that? Could they invent a currency and use it internally among themselves with their suppliers? Is that at all possible? They already have a currency in the sense of a coupon for a Big Mac holds its value already at this point better than a ruble does or the equivalent in ruble because you can always exchange a Big Mac coupon for a Big Mac. 
Now, you can't pay your employees, you can't pay your suppliers in the actual product, but could you pay them in... Promissory Big Macs? Yeah, if nothing else, we'll either buy this back in rubles or you can exchange it for a Big Mac. I like this idea. Would it have been plausible at the time? Is there going to be a forgery of these Big Mac coupons? I think you could, if you can create the MIT complex, if you can invent the infrastructure within a country, a $45 million massive meat, dairy, potato operation, I think you can figure out how to issue a coupon that is hard to counterfeit for a Big Mac. And even if you think about if this were to happen in a modern context with the technology we have today, I have 30,000 McDonald's points in my name already. How many Big Macs is that? I think I can basically have a Big Mac a day for a long time. McDonald's kind of already has its own currency. Yeah, it does now anyways. You know, Starbucks also, there was a story about how Starbucks is like one of the world's 10 largest banks by deposits, if you count Starbucks gift cards. Cohen himself, at the end of this case study, brings up this idea of what if we guarantee the price of a Big Mac will stay the same, hoping that it will cause people to hold on to their rubles a little bit longer and then be able to come in and actually purchase and know that the price is going to be the same when they get to the restaurant as it was when they got paid. That's not that different than saying, I'll sell you a coupon right now that you can redeem later. You could collect a bunch of money when the value is higher and then go and convert it. And then as the value drops, then people are going to come back and exchange. It's the same idea. You're issuing McDonald's money, McDollars. And it wouldn't be long until people are using their McDollars to buy other things. Yeah, because you can trust a McDollar is always going to buy the same amount of Big Mac. And if McDonald's was able to expand that internationally, you could spend your McDollars even outside Russia. Suddenly you have a way to move, to transfer wealth from one country to another. Wow. The natural next step for McDonald's at this point was and potentially still is today to become a bank. Do you think the Russian government would have looked unfavorably upon a, upon a McDonald's corporate currency? <laughs> Definitely. They'd have regulators. I have to imagine that would be a threat to the government. But I think it's interesting when you have a currency that's falling apart, suddenly is it more valuable to have McDollars than dollars? It, it, it only matters in a crisis. And it only matters at which the, the Russian people believe that their McDollars are actually convertible to hamburgers. McDonald's Russia could default on their, on their McDollars. Do you think the McDonald's point system on your phone is transferable to other countries? I bet it's not. I got to test that next time I go to a country with McDonald's. Yeah, it has to be because you have these chains like a Tim Hortons in Canada that is moving into the U.S., but it's moving right across the border. It seems like it would be a pretty big slap in the face to be like, I'm in the U.S., great, I can go get my Timbits. Oh, it's a totally different system. Your points aren't valued here, which is to say you as a customer are valued here. I mean, the next step would be for McDonald's to start using the McDollar internally to start valuing itself with its own currency as opposed to U.S. dollars. What would that give them? They would start paying their own executives and people in McDollars. Uh, dividends on, on McDonald's shares would be given in McDonald's. There's a built-in profit margin if you're giving somebody money that they can only spend at McDonald's. It's baked into the profit margins of the Big Mac. So you're pragmatic on the ground. What would you do in this context in Russia? I would invent a new currency. 
I would bring the McDollar into active circulation until the Russian government put me in jail. <laughs> would you issue gift cards? How would that, what would it look like? I think at the time it'd probably be coupons and you would want to design them to be durable enough to be handled and moved around. You would know in the back of your mind that these are more than just coupons. You You want them to become a unit of exchange, although you're careful to never actually say that. Yeah, I think this has legs. Historically, the Russian economy has had a really strong barter system when there have been problems with the currency. So I think the Russian people are probably more used to this idea than others. The idea that you are representing a, a cheeseburger with a piece of paper is a little bit of a leap versus like handing you the burger itself. But Cohen has established at this point a lot of trust. They love him. They love McDonald's. All of the steps that he took were finally paying off. This was his big moment. Wow. This is the opportunity, right? There's never going to be a time in Russia where the McDonald's coupon is as interesting of a story as it is right now. It can only happen when one is fearful of their money. Right. People could come in with their paycheck. And just exchange it immediately. Buy McDonald's money and just, just, just hold it. I just started reading the Ray Kroc autobiography. And in the beginning, he has this quote, a man must take advantage of every opportunity that comes along. Oh. And this feels like an opportunity that Cohen missed. What did he do instead? Do we know? We don't know. The case study ends and doesn't really tell us what actually happened. It's sort of just up to us to put ourselves in those shoes and figure it out. And so this takes us back to the plaque, which when they opened the McDonald's, a lot of other businesses in Moscow have these brass plaques that say hard currency only. And McDonald's does a ceremonial brass plaque that says only rubles. And I think there's even a story about how like a, an American bureaucrat or something comes in, there's a long line. He like expects there to be an American line that's shorter where you pay with hard currency. And there's this sweet little moment where the Russian McDonald's cashier tells him that at McDonald's, everybody is the same. Or like, you, you know, you have to get back in line, sir. <laughs> and, and, and the question that we're pondering are like, what to do? It's, it's, you have to, he's got to take that same spirit forward. Right. I think, I think this would be the wrong time to, um, to sort of introduce Russian specific items or to go upscale and make this a thing for like Russians that somehow still have money. And I think there's an opportunity for the McDollar there to spread, not just to, to like further infect the idea of McDonald's into the entire economy. He could have created something that is even more Russian than the ruble. The McRuble. The McRuble. This episode is recorded Saturday, April 1st. McDonald's stock closed Friday at an all-time high of $279.61. Last week at the McDonald's All-American Boys Basketball Game, East beat West 106 to 109. In the girls game, Team West came away with 110 points over the East 102. Our intro and outro music is Gerald Albright's The Hook, off his 1988 album Bermuda Nights. Gerald Albright is on tour. You can see him April 7th and 8th in Oakland, California. April 23rd in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, April 26th in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Tickets and tour dates are online at GeraldAlbright.com. Oh, we did it, we did it.